I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ, where the Tennessee volunteers are 24 hours removed from staving off the the feisty, feisty Austin P generals that many, many did not want to play in the first couple weekends of the college football season because of the level of feistiness that Scotty Walden and his bunch brought into <laughs> Neyland Stadium, and he could have brought it any SEC stadium. So the Vols were up for the challenge, and uh, held strong to uh, to avoid a one and one start and stay there in the in the top ten here uh, right out of the gate as a two and zero Tennessee Volunteers team. But to talk not just about the Tennessee Vols, but also college football at whole, as a whole. Fellow University of North Georgia alumni Matt Green is here. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It was a uh, it was an excellent day of college football. I thought uh, in week two we got. Mm. We got uh, some unpredictability. It was uh, it was some good stuff. And do we do we need to just get right into the Tennessee stuff? Like, uh, are you doing all right? Like, uh, how how was how was it going over there in the first half? Well, it's cool now that like, uh, peel behind the curtain here. Um, on Sunday nights we moved the Good Big Orange Friday show because we we're doing a recap show uh, Sunday nights, and getting to like air that out for me before coming on here, kind of like adds a layers of perspective so i get my therapy session in uh before that so it's not all bottled up for this where i just spring 10 minutes of just word vomit at you i've kind of been able to recalibrate and uh really parse through where my head's at and i think what's interesting is just it's a splintered fan base at the moment uh in terms of uh the quarterback receivers and um should we panic should we not but i mean hey that florida line was nine uh, not too long ago, it's down to four and a half uh, heading into game week. So I, I expect that mm. number to drop a little bit more. But we shall see. We'll get into Tennessee momentarily, Matt Green. But we have bigger, bigger fish to fry, like how we did over the weekend. Uh, it, I'm kind of concerned based on our pre, pre-recording pre chat here because I feel like I did pretty good um, overall. But I'm also realizing because... 
I look at st- like the standings as a whole and I'll tell people when they ask me my opinion on certain games where I'm like, I tell them, oh yeah, I think it's so-and-so. And then I'll look back and I'm like, that wasn't even in our pick And then I realize that's not going to count for me. So if I feel good where I do like this little fist bump in my living room, like nailed that one. And then I, I just go back and I see that wasn't on the list that that's not going to help me at all. Actually, that's uh, that's just that's just one for me. Score one for Chase. Uh, uh, an exhibition uh, win uh, on that front. But yeah. Also, before we get well, into that. You know, whatever that, helps you sleep at night. You know, it's uh, th- those lesser games. It's cool to be right about those. But um, well, but the real deal is on the pickup. I, I know. C- uh, chamomile tea helps me sleep. Big chamomile tea guy. It's always delicious. That's <laughs> me and uh, my nice little slumber. So I get all cozy under my weighted blanket, Matt Green. But to um, add more clarity here, because we had some listeners who were curious about the whole Tory situation in terms of what she thought the home dog of the week was. Uh, Have you gotten clarity from uh, from from Tori in terms of what she thought the home dog of the week was before you clarified it? Um, yes, I actually did do some research, did some follow up uh, mm-hmm. conversations with Tori, and um, turns out she, I guess she just thought home dog, like uh, you know, like my homie, my home dog. I don't know. Like this is just Zeus's favorite team of the week. I, I wish I had a better explanation, but um, yeah, she was because every once in a while she'd be like, you know, I don't even think Zeus likes that team that you picked, and it's like, it's so now it all makes sense because she didn't even realize it was the the uh, an underdog that was playing at home that week. So yeah, but we've we've you know we straightened it out, so she understands now. I just love the idea of you posing this dog with this picture and then you slapping a logo on. She's like, I guess Zeus just likes that logo or Zeus just seems to seems to be drawn to uh, Louisiana Tech Bulldogs for whatever reason. I, I don't I don't know what to do with it, but if that's what Zeus likes, Zeus likes it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty funny. Um, now she understands. Now I want to ask my wife after this and just be like. What if I said that uh, we had a home dog of the week this week? Where would your mind go? Because when you said it like that, if you're not a sports person, I think that would be a fair way to go about it. Where you're like, your friend, you're someone you like. I, I get it. I really like this guy this yeah. week. I, I don't. I don't hate that. That's a the. It makes sense to me, sir. But uh, mystery speaking solved. Of, speaking of home dog of the week. Um, mm-hmm. A little debate, you know, on how how to exactly to count. I think Iowa State was the official home dog of the week, and you know they they came close to mm. uh, to covering that to at least covering the spread. But no, that was just a uh, th- that game was pretty much exactly what we expected. Seventeen ten. Iowa is two and zero, but they're they're well under that uh, that point total. But um, so Iowa State was incorrect. However, Washington State was a was a home dog. We we predicted, so we're giving credit mm. for that one. And also the Cal Bears, uh, they did not win, but they did cover that spread. So we're giving credit for that one as well. Um, we're being lenient, you know. Zeus is—he's a good boy, so we're uh, we're gonna give him a little leeway. He's three and one so far on the early season with his home dogs of the week. I like it. Shout out to Zeus. Um, a very good, very good. But now boy. getting you know, we get to our scores. We can things got that. a little interesting uh, this past week. So uh, you. Uh, went six and five against the mm. spread and six and five overall. Mm. Uh, so you know, it's quality week. You won more than and then you lost. But uh, your boy over here went eight and three overall 
and nine and two against the spread. I was just uh, I was giving the people winners uh, mm. in week two. Uh, so now we are both fourteen and eight overall on the season. Um, mm. I am fourteen and eight against the spread. A one game lead on you at thirteen and nine. So it's uh it's tight in uh in the first two weeks. Hey, you had the stones to follow through on the Texas pick, which I should have. Um, and then Colorado, uh, take care of business. But I will say, feel pretty good about my Nebraska logic there, where Nebraska's defense putting on a clinic. <laughs> Uh, there's only so much you can do when your quarterback is nearing the double-digit turnover mark uh, on the road in a hostile, li- uh, lively uh, Colorado atmosphere. But we'll get into Colorado and all that and more. So there you go. A lot of time for me to make up some ground here. I'm not sweating it. Similar to the Tennessee Volunteers, it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish, Mac Green. That's uh, that's what many are saying uh, right out of the gate here. And probably Texas Tech Red Raiders uh, coach Joey McGuire after starting 0-2 here um, with preseason high expectations, Matt Green. Um, Green line, stat of the week before we get into the week that was uh, college football week two here. Um, what do you what do you have for us in terms of this weekend? And why do I feel like it's going to hurt some Alabama fans' feelings? Oh, because that is the story of college football this week, my friend. And the Green Line stat of the week is that since Nick Saban arrived to Alabama in 2007, they have never lost a home game by multi- by double digits until mm. Saturday against the Texas Longhorns. Um, since their uh, since the, and that's even including year one um, hmm. when they weren't even a good team. So since since year one, which I think they lost like three three home games or some two two or three home games that year, they've hmm. only lost six home games since since year one of Saban. Five of those teams, four of those five teams, have either won the national champion or played for the national championship, won the national championship, or had a Heisman Trophy winner. Ole Miss is the only one uh, with with Chad Kelly that didn't uh, actually have one of those things happen. You had Burrow, you had Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel. Um, I think the only one that, and then um, 2011 LSU uh, played for a national championship. Mm. Um, so Texas is now the sixth one. Is yours going to be the Heisman Trophy winner? Is Texas going to play for the national championship? They, they could be the latest uh, to do that. We made the right move with the Stetson Bennett cut um, after Stetson arrived at University of Georgia with his with uh, his wild hair and then getting it clean cut the the buzz cut um, getting cleaned up a little bit and it was a different kind of quarterback and Quinn Ewers saw what Stetson did uh, last year and was like yeah maybe maybe Stet is onto something there and uh, made a made a similar cut but we'll get into the Quinn Ewers thing there because I think that's another big point to hit on but I like that big stat. Um, in terms of what happened in Tuscaloosa and how rare, and that was kind of why the the, the my gut instinct was until I see it, I'm gonna stick with Saban at home, um, even in these big games. And we hadn't seen it from Sarkeesian uh, to this point. This was the biggest win of his, uh, I think, head coaching career uh, in the college game. So we'll get into that and what that meant uh, for Texas um, uh, in just a bit. But first, I'm kind of I want to add some like big picture stuff and just. Um, go through the college football landscape as a whole here before we dive into some specifics, uh, Matt Green. Let's let's first hit uh, the biggest surprise result. When you look at week two of this college football season, 
and you look at everything that happened, because there was a lot of upsets, a lot of interesting results. But when you look around what all happened here over the weekend, what were you the most surprised about? The most surprised I was was definitely uh, with Miami uh, mm. putting 48 on Texas a and I'll be honest, I, I kind of thought Miami was still trash. Like, I... Mm. Like I could see the improvement that Florida State was making. Like I, I didn't even really see it with Miami. So Tyler mm-hmm. Van Dyke, we didn't really know we get in the 2021 or 2022 version of Tyler Van Dyke. Um, you know, maybe it was just a coordinator thing that was met, that was just you know a bad a bad deal last year, and they fixed that. But I was very high on this Texas A&M team. I know you obviously were. So to see uh to see them. I mean, it was obviously a close game overall, uh, but but to get 48 points put on them, I was just, I was not expecting that at all. I think that's fair. Um, and they deserve a lot of credit and we'll get into that one as well. But I like that pick uh, in terms of the biggest, biggest surprise. The biggest storyline though for you coming out of this weekend is what is it? The Saban loss, the home loss? What is the biggest storyline in college football after week two? The biggest storyline, I'll say, maybe not in college football, but in my world, is that I was 100% right about these Alabama Crimson Tides. Mm. We, we, I'm, I'm shocked. I was shocked last week on our predictions when you didn't pick Texas to beat Alabama because of the way you've talked about uh, Alabama kind of agreeing with how we both feel like this team is, is just not what they once were. And I think it's it's clear it's clearly obvious because Jalen Milrow, it was a small sample size last year, but this was the exact game that you kind of worried about from Jalen Milrow. Like this this team was just they they did not they did not like they had they had as much talent as Texas on the other side of the ball, honestly. Like it's just Alabama's still a really good program, a really good team, but they're just they are not, they're like a regular good team now. They're not this, 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 you know, insurmountable force that they once were. And it's, uh, the schedule doesn't get much easier. Texas could be the t- the best team they play all season, but it's, it's not an easy schedule by any means. No. And I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, the thing about the, the reason I didn't end up picking Texas Matt Green is because I picked A&M to win the title and I had A&M beating Alabama. Uh, before the season in college station i still have that uh being the case but i just looked at it as i I didn't think texas would be the one that got alabama the three losses i thought before the year was tennessee a&m and auburn is where i was headed at where it's like you have that two losses and then not auburn it's auburn super bowl year one he freeze has success we don't have to relitigate why we got to that point but i just didn't have texas there and it was just kind of like a wait and see um for texas and now they're there and you have to recalibrate what we think of Texas. I mean, I don't know if I texted you this, but like if we had to make our, if we did like revise college football playoff picks each week um, based on what the standings are, I mean, I would say the final right now looks to me like Texas, Georgia, like that, that's kind of where it looks like it's heading to me um, by and large. And if I had to, if I had to pick who, what the, the final, who the final two are, I think it'd be Texas, Georgia. Would you feel similarly? And I think that's the best game, maybe. Potentially. I would, and but also in terms of revising my original playoff picks, I just maybe just cross out Clemson and just write ACC champion because mm. to, to right now it looks like a clear path for Florida State and Texas to get to the college football playoff, and then you just you get the SEC champion and the Big Ten champion. Like that's 
that feels like the the college ball playoff we're we're headed for. Like obviously Texas got to get through Oklahoma and they got to get through all the rest of the Big 12, but Alabama was the biggest thing in their way to actually getting to the playoff cuz now they also have that mulligan. Like mm. a one loss 12 and 1 Texas Big 12 champion who who beat Alabama, that that team is getting in the playoff. So Texas is definitely one of those front runners right there right now. And I'd, I'd put Florida State right there with them, though. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I would also say, and this is kind of, it kind of speaks to what you're saying, where I'm like, everyone, like, two things could be true, which just is the most Pac-12 way of ending this whole Pac-12 conference, is the Pac-12 is the best conference in college football this year. And I don't think it's really that close um, through two weeks. And B, they're going to cannibalize each other. And this is just they're going to miss the playoff again because they're all, they have so many really good teams and they're just going to beat each other up and they're going to get left out of the 14 playoff again. That it just, it sucks because I think there are so many, I mean, really borderline elite uh, teams in the PAC 12 right now. And I just, my, my heart is sinking just thinking about these teams, just all finishing nine and three and 10 and two, because they just keep beating each other up. Yeah, and that's the biggest that's the biggest argument for playoff expansion of anything, mm. you know, and and that's why I would be cool with 8, obviously 12. We've had that whole conversation a bunch of times, but I mean, because you can be a really really good conference that just has a couple teams beat each other, but I I know the Texas's back thing is like a, a punchline at this point and they mm. look like they're a legit contender right now. But this is what I feel like people don't understand we go back to last year, the same thing, like beating Alabama isn't what it once was. Yeah. So when you, when you're Cam Newton and when you're Auburn, like that's the year you win the national championship was you finally beat Bama. You know, it's like so many teams that's, that was the breakthrough. Georgia finally beat Alabama, uh, got that monkey off the back in 2021. Like LSU was a flawed team last year. Like, and they beat Alabama, like, and they lost to a bad Texas A&M team. They got blasted at home by a good, a really good Tennessee team, but they got destroyed by the team that won the SEC and won the national championship. So like LSU wasn't some great team that the stars aligned for in first year of a head coach. Like Tennessee was a, a really good team, but also a flawed team that didn't have a very good defense. It was like their best team in 15, 20 years, but it's, it's, Tennessee wasn't winning a national championship either. So it's it's like the this idea that if you beat Alabama, like that's the that's the gold standard. I feel like that's not it anymore. It's not that Texas mm. isn't a contender now, but it doesn't mean, oh, I guess they're like the best team in the country. It's like, no, Alabama's just kind of flawed. And and you saw the Texas the Texas uh students, the 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 we want Georgia chant. So they know, they know that Georgia's number one right now. So beating Alabama is a, a great step, but it, it actually, it doesn't actually mean you're the best team in the country. Like it, it basically has the last decade. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I think that's, that is where we're at. So, um, man, life comes at you fast. Crimson Tide. Um, speaking of the SEC though, I wanted to ask you this, is the SEC down this year as a whole? Because a lot of bad results, there was a lot of bad offense all across the board. It wasn't just our teams struggling in the first half. It was everybody. Like Kentucky barely gets by. Well, it was Eastern Kentucky. Um, you just had 
Mizzou, Vanderbilt getting blown out by Wake Forest. Um, you just go all around. Arizona coming close to knocking off Mississippi State. Cal should have beaten Auburn um, on, late on a Saturday. And you go just up and down the list on both sides of the conference. Um, what does Tulane do if their health, quarterback's healthy? Because they were in that one deep uh, until things got a little, uh, a little crazy in the second half. But like by and large... A lot of teams sleep, uh, slept walk uh, in that first first couple weekends here in the SEC, and also three and six against Power Five competition uh, through two weeks in the SEC. Is it too early to panic about the health of the SEC this year, or do you think it's actually just going to end up being a down year and there's going to be a lot of sneaky bad SEC teams? I mean, you could definitely make that point that it's down, but just simply Alabama is appears to be a little down maybe they're still mm-hmm. really good but they're down for alabama and lsu it's it's hard to overreact because i think florida state is a college football playoff team right now but lsu didn't look great so maybe miami is a legit con- contender and and a m and lsu just lost to two you know top five top ten type teams and 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 that it just is what it is but um i think you can definitely make the case that it's down it's they're, they're all all of those losses aren't necessarily like you know comparable like you could argue florida is shoot what like the 12th the 12th best team in the sec facing the team that's won the pac-12 championship two years in a row it's like those, those aren't necessarily you know equivalents a&m and miami that seems like a pretty like in the same comparable place in the sec and the acc so like that's a big win fsu and lsu like that feels like a a game that feels like a barometer for how good the conference is like South Carolina, North Carolina. Like, I mean, I think South Carolina is near the bottom of the sec, at least the bottom half, like mm-hmm. a middle of the road sec team. And North Carolina is probably the what the second or third best team in the ACC so far. So mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to know with these exact out of conference matchups, but that's what the sec is always flexed on that the the fifth or sixth best team in the conference can go beat the best team in another conference so it's uh you could definitely make the point that it's it's not as strong as it has been in previous years yeah i think there's just a lot of average i don't think it's that the top of the top is still elite like the georgia of the world the lsu's um i think will end up being a top five team by by the end of the year AM i'm still pretty high on like we'll see what happens with tennessee uh, over the next couple of weeks but I mean, I still think the top of the conference is still top tier. I just think the middle and bottom is very close in the conference this year. Like, I don't think there's a whole lot separating Kentucky, South Carolina, Mizzou, Mississippi State, Old Miss, Arkansas, you name them, outside of Vanderbilt, who's still in their own bottom tier uh, to this point. But I think there's just a huge hodgepodge of slop right there in the middle outside of the tier one. Yeah, and one of my bold predictions for this season was that the sec west would have three two loss teams and, mm. and none of them were gonna they're none of them are gonna get to the playoff and after all of them having one loss now here like i was i was uh i was factoring in texas losing in alabama i think that mm. was that was one that i that i thought was gonna happen but lsu florida state and a and miami was de- were definitely not sec losses i was i was factoring in so it's gonna be tough for all these teams to get to 10 and 2 uh when they already dropped a game at a conference for sure. Um, Macri, before we get into some games, uh, sneaky best win and sneaky worst loss over the weekend for you. Um, let's see. Sneaky best win. 
I got to go to the Ole Miss Rebels hmm. because it's like Tulane. We don't know how good they are, like in terms of just being a, a are they a top ten team? Like they finished a year ago, but this was their Super Bowl. So it, mm. there's like something about going into like, this is a good team, a good program. And this is like the biggest game on campus. And what history maybe for, for Tulane, like the fact that yeah. you actually have some preseason expectations and an sec team is, is coming to your stadium is just not a common thing. Mm-hmm. So they got off to a good start too. like kudos to them for sure. Playing with their backup quarterback, but, um, Ole Miss, obviously, to to kind of take the punches and then bounce back and then it end up pulling away. Like I feel like that was like a like a sneaky like character building win like early in the season. I like that. And on the road, like you said, Tulane could still end up being a top ten, top fifteen team, and that could end up looking a lot better as the season goes along. And um, I just wish he would have gotten the healthy quarterback there. I think that would have uh, been nice there. But it also makes Georgia Ole Miss more interesting. Uh, in the next in the next few weeks so um that's one to keep an eye on that might end up being a top 10 matchup uh by the time we get uh get to that game in athens um in a few months so um i like that one matt green uh let's talk about your dogs let's talk about mike bobo trending again this weekend georgia fans not happy with that first half that screen cap that i sent you zero zero after the first quarter um for the dogs Still not, I mean, really just the the whole case for the SEC East this weekend, for the most part, just the offense was not flowing for anybody, um, especially in the first half. Um, George obviously cleaned some stuff up in the second half, but the walk-on Muse, who's becoming a quick fan favorite here, um, it seems like he has a punt return TD um, early in this one, and Carson Beck kind of settled in as the game went along. The defense still looks legit all across the board. Um, Has there been an update on Bullard? Is his injury serious? I have not heard an update on uh, on Javon Bullard, but yeah, Makai Muse has definitely been a guy from absolute nowhere. Uh, <laughs> balled out in the spring game. I was like, that was a good story. Um, but then, yeah, to see him returning kicks and punts, I think the first play of the season was like a screen pass to Makai Muse. Like, not really... Not really prepared for how big of a part of the the offense and just the, the obviously the special teams this guy's been so far, but he's like what about five foot five? But he's uh, he's making plays. Georgia Georgia loves a a, a walk on story. Um, well, but yeah, go. I will say, was that? Oh no, I was just gonna say. So, what was your? What do you think when you look at Georgia this week versus last week? What where do they look better? Where did they maybe look worse than a week ago? What uh, where are you at there? I mean, I think for the second week in a row, they definitely started slow. But I mean, I think this is what this is why like you shouldn't be worried about Mike Bobo because Mike Bobo never had a defense like this one. And obviously, this mm. is Ball State and UT Martin, so it's like we don't hardly learn anything from these games anyway. Like I, I can't stress that enough. Um, see Jalen Milrow versus Middle Tennessee State. But you look at Georgia, I mean, what they did in the second quarter, like 31-0 in the second quarter, it's like this thing was 31-0 at half. Like if if Mike Bobo is trending, like that's news to me. Like this team's won the first two games, 48-7 and, and 45-3. Like you saw the defense obviously played a bigger role in the second game, uh, forcing like multiple interceptions. I think, what, was it three interceptions mm-hmm. they had in this one? Um, and obviously the offense benefited from the short field, but it's like, the offense gets the ball at the 25 yard line and goes 25 yards and, and scores like that. That's all they can do. Right. It's like, you're not going to have a 75 yard drive. 
uh, when you start 25 yards from the end zone. So this is what Georgia is. It's it's complimentary complimentary football. The defense helps the offense, help the special teams. Like it's it's a whole thing. And I think Georgia, even though they did miss a chip shot field goal in this one in the in the first quarter, they hopefully the kickers they do have a new kicker, so hopefully they can get that situation uh, settled down. But yeah, I I would I'm shocked to hear that anyone's talking about Mike Bobo, other than the fact that some weird Georgia fans out there have a, have a strange obsession with, with Mike Bobo, but yeah, 48 to seven and 45 to three. I, I can't really think of much negative to, to say about Georgia. But are you surprised by that? Bobo was a lightning rod 12 years ago. Like he's going to be a lightning rod whenever anything's not normal. Like this man I'm, I'm is going to be the punching bag. I'm surprised in a 48 to seven and 45 to three game. Yeah. It's like Todd Monken, like, what was the Samford score last year? Like 30 to zero, like they barely beat Kent state. Like that was like a weird game where the offense wasn't, wasn't gelling, you know? So it's like, these things happen all the time. There's like this revisionist history that we Todd Munkin won every game 65 to seven. It's like, that's not really how things happen. So the offense has been fine. I'm sure Georgia's not showing everything they can do when they're playing ball state and UT Martin. So I think you're really, I think Carson Beck, uh, he threw an interception in this one that you know wasn't really his fault, just a a t- uh, deflection that got a ball got tipped up in the air on a deep shot. But I mean, he was he looked solid in this one. I thought I think Carson Beck's athleticism I think is definitely an underlooked uh, part of his game. Like he's got just that just that minimal athleticism that something breaks down, this guy can can run. He's not a statue in the pocket. So I think Beck's athleticism has been kind of a pleasant surprise so far. Um, but yeah, 23 of 30, 283 yards, two touchdowns. Like he was efficient in this one. I, he can, he, I think he's, he made a few throws that you're like, you can see the talent that, that Beck has. But um, one thing last two years uh, or last year, the first couple of games, Georgia didn't really run the ball that well. And it's mm. like, you're kind of seeing that in the first two games this year. Um, but Dylan Bell, wide, the sophomore wide receiver was moved to running back some in, in, uh, fall camp and you saw him actually get some carries he had three carries for for 28 yards and a touchdown like this guy he kind of looked like a better running back than than any of the other running backs have looked so far this year so i'm curious to see what georgia does uh with that but yeah we'll we'll learn a lot more about this team after facing a team like south carolina that obviously could still be you know one of the worst teams in the sec no disrespect to, to gamecocks fans but even if georgia beats south carolina 38 to 7 or something i think there's still going to be people that are questioning how good this team is i mean i don't know it's I, I guess you're 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 just comparing them to perfection and you just want them to look perfect every week and it hasn't been perfect but um i'd be surprised to hear anyone say anything overly negative about the first two the first two weeks and especially because the defense is just the defense is always going to be what it is and that's and that's just what georgia that's what georgia is all right i like it with south carolina coming up at least you get uh we both are going to be uh we're excited about our preview this week because we have uh important georgia and uh tennessee games to talk about uh heading into uh this weekend here but um in terms of tennessee i'll quickly um parse through did you watch any of tennessee uh Tennessee, why am I blank? Uh, Austin P. Over the weekend, I, I did not catch much of this one. I did catch the uniforms, which. Mm, how do you feel about the uniforms before you get into the game? I thought they were fine. They look be- They look a lot better because those were leaked this summer, and people were like, "Are those real?" So part of it is Tennessee has a deal um, with Nike. 
um, that they have to change the smoky grays every year. See, that's so they, what I don't like. I wish they just they had an alternate and just like that's what they rocked. Rocking this like different alternate every year. There's something uh, there's something grinds my gears about that. I didn't hate the uniform like some people did, mm. um, but it was I like the grays more than other than some people do. But um, I don't know. There was it was an interesting look. It's okay. I'm also glad they got it out of the way against a team that didn't matter. So I didn't want to see those uniforms against like South Carolina or something. Um, they're fine. They're not my cup of tea. I mean, they're they're perfect orange ones. I the, the dark mode with the dark helmets are also top notch, and I think that's what they're gonna end up wearing. They still rocking of... those this year? Are they gonna yes. rock one of those? Okay, I'm Is gonna guess South Carolina because I think okay. South Carolina is going to get night is going to be a night game um, in a few weeks. So on the 30th is my guess. Cause I feel like every year it's just going to alternate South Carolina, Kentucky. Cause I think there's a rule that they're not going to ever go. I think there's this unspoken rule between Georgia and Tennessee that they won't go away from traditional in that, in that game. Um, are you talking about uniforms? Mm-hmm. They're not going to do it. Georgia. Uh, they rock the gray a bunch when they play Georgia. No, I'm saying now. Tennessee. Like, I think that's just. I don't think that's going. Like, I, I from what I, I there's a few years there they rocked them right. They rocked them against Florida and Georgia like every year. Right. I would just say that that's probably not going to continue, and that's why you haven't gotcha. seen it in the last couple of years. Um, is I think you're going to see the traditional looks. Um, in Tennessee, Georgia, and that's not that's probably by design in the last couple. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I didn't get much of this one, but I did see the uh the the close score early on and i, I wasn't uh i wasn't hitting up your phone like you were hitting up mine for that early uh the early score just want the just want the record to show that oh hold on <laughs> matt green was also out as the record shows he was out uh watching texas bama you were out and about you weren't on your phone you were doing other stuff you weren't watching the That's game fair. i uh I, I just kept up with and my part of the problem here too is like my family have a lot of George, as you know, a lot of Georgia fans in my family, um, who just have really enjoyed the last two years, and it's just they need to be taken down a notch. Where you just you just look at it and you're like, act like you've been there before, Matt Green. Act like you've been there, and also just acknowledge like you're held to a different standard than Tennessee. So when Tennessee's struggling in the in the first half and they're walking through this game where there was lightning delay they didn't run through the t and didn't do any of their pregame stuff because of uh the delay to kick things off so that was oh, already weird how are they supposed to play if they didn't run through the t there it is right there it's a problem matt green uh <laughs> it shakes everything up you know like as we all know uh athens is a different story if there's no rain and uh you uh you also look at this and look Joe Milton missed some throws. Um, Joe's been rocky. The receivers have been rough uh, to this point. Um, Ramel had a bad fumble. He missed a couple times. He also had a touchdown. Brew hasn't really gotten going. They went away from the deep ball. Like they have now completed only one deep ball um, to this point. Also, they've only tried one, like a super deep one. That was the drop early in the Virginia game with Ramel Keaton, that 80 yard uh, rocket launcher throw. Uh, to kick things off, um, they haven't gone back to the well. Uh, it's hard to say if it's pass pro, but just so much lateral stuff um, in this game. Defensive lines legit. You can't run on Tennessee. They're averaging teams are averaging two yards a carry uh, on them through two weeks, and that was the case last year. They were a top twenty rush defense, just as good this year. Uh, Miss Keenan Peely, who's out for a long time um, with a a, a tear um, of some sort to his arm, um, we think and. He's out for a bit, so that's rough. And they're working in Elijah Herring and Arian Carter um, at that spot, so we'll see. 
but the set the front seven man is still top notch and i think uh, it's going to cause a lot of problems for a lot of teams on this schedule and the defense is just gonna be good all year long but offensive line you get cooper may starting center back it looks like against florida that will be nice to have that continuity um on that front but i think the main story is jalen wright's a star like the the lead back jalen wright has really blossomed into a big time back he's now averaging over 10 yards a carry through two weeks and it's a lot of carries and a lot of a lot of yardage so you can't really you can't really stop the three-headed monster at the moment for tennessee and i think they're gonna be able to run the football all year joe even when he doesn't play well he doesn't throw picks um he doesn't fumble so it's just kind of like look it's it's rocky it's not fun uh to this point let's just see what happens at florida that's my thing that's my litmus test is like if it's still bad at florida we'll have to do some revisiting because it's uh it's game on after that and you can't really we're, we're done with the the cupcakes of the first two weeks you uh every week from here on out is big game football so you got to get this stuff ironed out but like you said Georgia had problems with Kent State at home last year, and sometimes it might just be an early season, just silly game um, that just uh, was was dumb. Really bad officiating. One of the worst officiated games. There was a fumble by Austin oh, P. where he takes two steps with the ball. I kid you not, Matt Green. I'm not an officiating guy. We've done this podcast together for many years now. I don't complain, generally speaking, with Tennessee officiating. I'm not that guy. This was one of the worst officiated football games I've seen in a long time. Uh, this was this was horrible. Um, a lot of bad calls in this one against Tennessee. There was, but like I said, the fumble that was they even reviewed it and still called it an incomplete pass. When I say the Austin Peay receiver caught it, took two steps and then got the ball knocked out, and Tennessee picked it up, and that probably would have been a touchdown um, for that one. Walker, uh, uh, Warren Burrell got hit uh, on a special teams play that was terrible. Anyway, I could just go on and on and on, but. Either way, they escape with a victory, and Tennessee is on to Gainesville, where we'll learn a whole lot more about the Tennessee Volunteers and what they can ultimately be in 2023. Someone we already learned a lot about what they're going to be in 2023, and now my college football national champion favorite, the Texas Longhorns. It turns out, Matt Green, my mind was in the wrong spot. I was close. I was in the right state, just not the right university when I picked Texas A&M to win the national title this year. I was in the right spot, just a little, little ways away in the right state with the Texas Longhorns knocking off Alabama in convincing fashion late. Your guy, you gonna, A.D. You Mitchell. You were going to say a few miles east or west, but you didn't know the geography, weren't you? Oh, uh, 1,000%. I, could, <laughs> I don't know either. I don't know if Austin is north or south from College Station. I'm not sure. I think. I mean, I'll I know it's north, but I think it's west. But I'm also Texas. Where I'm not gonna just say that. I don't know. Um, but Quinn Ewers, big time game. Ad Mitchell loves uh, blasting Alabama whenever he gets the chance to. Jalen Millero uh, did not look great. The offensive line for Alabama overwhelmed by Texas's front. Uh, they were dominant all game long. Um, Man, what what's your biggest takeaway? And does this win say more for what Texas could be? Or does it say more of what Alabama is in 2023, Matt Green? Well, first of all, uh, Austin's about two hours uh, west of College Station. Mm. Um, but I think this game, it kind of reminded me of Florida State LSU, where I think it's a little bit of both. I think Texas is, I think Texas is that good. Um, but I think Alabama is flawed. So I think beating Alabama doesn't necessarily mean you're you're the best team in the country, kind of like I was saying a, a little bit ago.
but this is this is definitely a program changing win for the mm. Texas Longhorns because and it just it, it went basically exactly how I kind of thought it was going to go like these out these Texas receivers and Quinn Ewers were just way too much for this Alabama secondary like Caleb Downs might be a future Pro Bowl all like all American Pro Bowl like. NFL Hall of Famer, but he's a true freshman right now. And mm. someone like Steve Sarkeesian, a just seasoned play caller in college football, one of the best offensive minds in the game, he exposed him multiple times for two of their big touchdowns. It's like, and that's when you're relying on true freshmen to to play against some of the best players in the country, like mistakes are gonna happen. Malachi Starks was one of the best safeties in college football last year as a true freshman, but he also made those mistakes and gave up a few big plays throughout the season. Georgia had a little more room for error last season. So people don't really remember it. Like, like they'll remember this Texas game, but I think this is just a massive in terms of, and that's kind of what I was talking about. Uh, what we we're saying, it would have been great for Texas to get this game at home this year. Like last year, I felt like was the confidence builder that they knew they could play with these guys. And now they've come into Tuscaloosa and, and done it. Like if you can go into Tuscaloosa, there's, there's good reason to think you can, you can beat anybody in college football. Yeah, and I think when you look at this, it just felt like Texas was better. And you saw that with Georgia and Bama late. You saw that um, in different instances with Alabama uh, of late, but not that often. Like, Tennessee survived Alabama, but Alabama had dudes, and Bryce Young and company gave them everything they could handle. I thought Bama's receivers looked a little better than what we saw last year. Um, Jalen Burden obviously had some big stuff, and there was stuff called back. Uh, for Alabama in this one. Um, I don't know. They just don't look the but, same. But and I don't think that shouldn't have been called back, right? Like there's no like bad calls that I was No, 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 no. Of. I'm just saying it happened. Like yeah. Burton has a touchdown uh, taken away in that one. I, I'm just saying like that's that's just something to also throw out there. But by and large, I just, Texas just looked like a complete team. And like they just have so many dudes on offense too for Quinn Ewers to parse through. And I wonder too if there's like, not to get galaxy brain here, but like no Bijan in the backfield, like the supernova safety net for Quinn Ewers to have this year. He spread the ball around and he has Whittington. He has Worthy. He has A.D. Mitchell. He has dude after dude after dude all across the this field for them. Good offensive line, good defensive line. I just it looked to me like he was just so confident and some of those deep balls were pretty um, and they were just perfect, perfect dimes uh, from Quinn. He's just come a long way and you just forget he's a bigger prospect than Arch Manning. Like he was a big, big time yeah. prospect uh, coming out of high school. And it's just, he's been uh, away from that kind of spotlight for so long. And he kind of, he got injured and banged up last year in the Ohio state redshirt stuff. But like Quinn Ewers is all the talent to be the best quarterback in the sport. Like that's never gone away. It's just, we haven't seen it yet. And now you're seeing Texas is just, they're scary. And not they're not just coming, they're here. And also, it's not special to beat Saban if you're an assistant anymore. Kirby's done it. Now uh, Jimbo's obviously done it. And now you look at it, guess what? Next one up, here he is. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian does it. Lane Kiffin was on the doorstep last year in Oxford. Um, and Alabama survived that one. But like we're inching closer and closer to this just not being a thing. And the assistants have kind of caught up uh, to Nick Saban and the sport has caught up to Nick Saban as a whole. And we can also say Tommy Reese, probably not the the best offensive coordinator hire uh, over the offseason, which was the biggest thing here. It doesn't mean Alabama's going to fall apart from here on out, 
but they have real problems and they just look like a nine and three team to me, which is what we both thought coming into the year. And Texas looks like they've made that jump and they don't have to play the SEC schedule after this. That's the best yeah. part if you're a Texas fan. You just won the toughest game on your schedule on the road. Everything else from here on out should be pretty nice, especially after seeing SMU take it to Oklahoma for most of uh, Saturday night and what you did to Oklahoma a year ago. Like If you're Texas right now and you're a Texas fan, you, you want to be careful with how hyped you are at the moment. But like, barring a crazy Kansas State finish, you got to be feeling pretty good that you just won the biggest game uh, in over a decade. No, Texas fans won't have unrealistic expectations <laughs> at all now once they move to the SEC. Like, hey, we've done this. We, we can be the best mm-hmm. team in the conference. Um, but I don't know if you need to just, if Tommy Reese is like just to blame. Like, I think Jalen mm. Milrow is a flawed player. Like, we mm. talked about like the the best case, excuse me, the best case scenario was Jalen Hurts. And like, that's that guy's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Like, that, and that team had a loaded defense. Like, that's what I can't stress enough. You want to play this, this joyless murder ball, this, this stuff. Well, they, they definitely look joyless, right, on Saturday. Like, it didn't look like they were having much fun. But you want to play this, like, oh, this hard-nosed throwback style. Playing elite defense was always the number one key to that style. Mm. And they're they're not that. Like, you saw them just get exposed, like, big play after big play in the passing game right by Texas. So... You saw that, and also just running the balls, like they, they're not doing that. Like they were mm. not winning at the line of scrimmage against Texas. Like Jalen um, Milrow, what had one, I was going to say he was the, their leading rusher, but yeah, one large, one yard less than Jace McClellan in this one. But like mm. Milrow's numbers are not pounding the rock type of numbers, you know? Like that's, that's not oh, lining up and just beating the guy in front of you. Like, Milrose numbers are play breaks down and he's running for his life and he's the best athlete on the field and he can pick up some yards mm-hmm. like actually running the ball like Jason McClellan 12 carries for 45 yards like averaging less than four yards a carry like this team isn't just dominating on the ground and and we've talked about the receivers they don't have those elite receivers that they once had so Texas was definitely going to be one of the best games on their schedule but uh this is um th- this this team is is just not is not what people were talking about. Like I think so much of what Alabama's expectations were this preseason was just based on assumptions because of Nick Saban. It was like, yeah, I'm I'm sure Nick Saban will will figure it out. Like I don't know mm-hmm. how. I've seen the we're just ignoring the writing on the walls, but we're just like, yeah, Saban Saban's going to figure it out. And he's the best coach of all time, but Bobby Bowden was also the best coach of all time at one point too, right? And like at some point, Florida State just wasn't the elite national perennial national title contender that they always were under Bowden. So it's not to say that they're just like not a, an elite program anymore, but they're just not they're not head and shoulders the best like they once were. Are you ready to say Bama cannot win the title this year based on what we've seen from this group this year? I I am willing to say that. I think okay. Al- this team is not capable of winning a national championship. Uh, the way they're currently constructed. If if Jalen Milrow, I I was a little surprised honestly to not see any of the quarterbacks get another get any sort of time in this in this game. Like maybe mm-hmm. that says Milrow is like clearly the best one, but if if like a p- barring a, another quarterback like coming in and just completely changing how this team looks, if Milrow's the guy all year, 
I think it's going to work against a lot of the teams they play. I think Arkansas, mm. I think Mississippi State, you know, maybe even Auburn, they're going to be able to dominate a lot of the teams they play just by running all over them. But the best mm. teams on their schedule, this is going to be a problem again, especially if Milrow makes some of the bad decisions he made. Like both interceptions were just were just really just awful decisions. So that's that's what you can't have more than anything. If if this guy's going to be kind of the the limited passer, you got to be the safe make the safe plays and then make those dynamic plays with your legs because we we see what he's capable of with his legs. Like this like this guy's one of the best athletes. Like Anthony Richardson like it's talked about a lot. It's like one of the best athletes we've seen. Like he's every bit as athletic as a runner, if not if not more so than an Anthony Richardson or a Jalen Hurts. So he's got that ability, but I think with how how flawed this passing game looks, I think when they play their best teams, they're going to run into this, these problems again. All right. I like it. Uh, final thing here. Is Quinn Ewers now a Heisman favorite for you? As much as anyone can be two weeks into the season, like at, at this point, nobody's done anything but Jordan Travis and Quinn Ewers, right? Like those are mm. the guys. I guess I guess Drake May um, had a had a nationally big time nationally televised game too. But I um yeah, I mean Quinn Ewers is that guy. Like he's he's one of the best quarterbacks in college football, and I think. I think uh, with the, the the moment, right, the Heisman moment of going into Tuscaloosa, that that's definitely not going to hurt his case. No, and like we, when people talk about Drake May and Shador Sanders, who we'll get into in a second, it's like you still got to win enough games, and I just don't know if they're going to be in the national title conversation by the time Heisman voting is going around, where the team is. Some of it's just out of their control, but like Quinn's going to have the narrative, Quinn's going to have the numbers. Quinn's going to have potentially the team that it's just a lot is moving in his direction that uh, is going to work in his favor for a Heisman odd. If I had to put most likely through two weeks, uh, I think Quinn Ewers would be my my best guess uh, at this point. Um, yeah, I think so. And I don't know how I forgot about Shadur Sanders because he's yeah. definitely in that conversation too. It's just Texas uh, or just TCU and Nebraska, but man, this guy's fun to watch. Well, speaking of Colorado, they blow out Nebraska. Um, Jeff Sims just completely implodes in this one for the Huskers. Um, eventually pulled um, late in this game, Matt Green. It took way too long uh, for uh, Nebraska to pull the plug on the Jeff Sims experience. But it's just Nebraska, man. I, <laughs> they are 0-2 now to start off the Matt Rule era. Matt Rule still has not beat a rake team as a college football head coach. Uh, to this point so we'll see uh, if that happens at one point this year but Nebraska the defense was flying all over the place the defense really kept Colorado in check especially for that whole first half Um, and that defense deserves a lot of credit for not breaking when the offense was just giving them back-breaking turnover after back-breaking turnover they could have folded especially on the road in an awesome environment like Colorado was rocking and it really was awesome to see that place um, just completely packed to the brim and the student section coming out like it's just everything about that atmosphere was awesome you're like man we really miss colorado being uh a top tier program in the sport because it's a great environment great look great locale great fans great uniforms loved what colorado was rocking on saturday and they just play a really fun brand of football and i think the biggest thing that stood out to me and really through two weeks of colorado football matt green and i wonder if you agree with this dion's a great coach that's not a question uh, at this point. Shador, Shan- Shador Sanders is a great player. 
and should be in the Heisman conversation right now because, look, they're undefeated and he's playing at a Heisman level. They have talent everywhere. Travis Hunter, obviously, superstar uh, on both sides of the ball. But for me, what's most impressive about Dion is his coordinator hires. Like, Sean Kelly was the perfect hire for this group and what they're playing uh, in Colorado. Pulling him from Kent State was huge. And then Kelly from Alabama. So the defense played really hard and really caught, deserves a lot of credit for uh, giving Nebraska so many problems on offense that Dion not only identifies talent extremely well, Dion identifies coaching talent extremely well. So I think that's an under talked about point when we're looking at college football coaches is how well do you hire? Not just how well you recruit. What kind of coordinators do you hire? How do you plan? How do you put together a staff? And I think Dion deserves a lot of credit for putting together an elite staff around him, because I think this is going to be sustainable because he's put together such a good staff around him. Yeah, absolutely. This is, um, it's just so fun to watch, man. Like Mm -hmm. you said, it's like just seeing Colorado, like, the views right of Folsom field and the mountains and just like an electric atmosphere. Like it's like, okay, they play college football. There's good traditions all over the country. It's like just certain programs that get go up and down, but yeah, it's, it's awesome to see, um, just what this stadium atmosphere looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's incredible. Just like, like they say, timing is the key to life, right? Like just the timing of all of this, like, Deion Sanders' son being, like, the same age as this, like, transcendent talent of Travis Hunter, like, bringing him to Colorado. It's just, like, the the portal is now a thing, and and NIL is a thing in college football. It's just, it's like this perfect storm for Deion Sanders to just come in and, like, just shake up college football. It's, It's kind of incredible what we've seen so far, and I'm just, like, this is, like, like, I wasn't sure what to expect from this game. Mm. Like, in terms of Nebraska, like, I just, year one of Matt Rule, I think, what, Temple and Baylor, he won, like, one game, maybe two games, year one of both of those uh, tenures before, like, I think winning the conference uh, or playing for a conference title in year two at both places. So I wasn't sure what to expect from Nebraska, but I'm just, like, I'm all in on Coach Prime, man. Like, mm. I'm not, I'm a believer. Like, they're going to get it done. So, yeah, Nebraska or um, Colorado, just, they look good again. I think where they play Colorado State next week before, I want to say, like, back-to-back games with Oregon and USC or something like yes. that coming up. So their schedule is definitely going to ramp up here. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun watching this team. Yeah. No, I think it's it's gonna be fun and like that's just gonna be must see television. Uh, Colorado USC is just gonna be top notch, and Colorado Oregon I think will be be great. I wonder if Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson are gonna be at a uh, Colorado Colorado State. They're just gonna be just every game. They're gonna be at Colorado. Maybe, uh, but shout out to the Buffs. Two no start. Um, they deserve all the credit in the world. One of the craziest turnarounds, uh, especially with. The just there's so many reasons uh it's pretty amazing but shout out to colorado for a big time win there um miami we touched on them a little bit at the top of the show here matt green their offense is legit shannon dawson and company has this thing moving i made fun of the tyler van dyme trademark still will very cringe to this point but he deserves credit tyler van dyke looked really good on saturday uh miami just poured it on and just uh, the big touchdown pass to end it. Um, who's the slot guy who had like a bazillion yards as like the new Braxton Berrios uh, disciple here? What was his name? Are you talking about like one with three touchdowns? Yes. Uh, Jacoby George. 
Was it Jacoby George? I didn't he had he five that. for 94 and three touchdowns in this one. Who else? Who else had a big game? Um, Xavier Restrepo was the leading receiver. Six that's for 126. That's who I'm thinking of. Yes, Xavier Restrepo. Um, I think he's going to be gobbling them up uh, this this season. But when you look at uh, Miami, Matt Green, what did uh, what stood out to you on on the side of blowing out Texas A&M here at home? Um, just the big plays, really. Like they were just uh, they they had so many big plays. Obviously, in the return game, and just Tyler Van Dyke. Like we were both critical of the Tyler Van Dyme uh, trademark, but clearly he knew what he was doing uh, before he before his stock got too high. He uh, he wouldn't and cashed in. But um, yeah, they were able to 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 slow down this Texas A&M run game for the most part. Like. Wegman, you know, still still had a solid game, but turned the ball over a few times. Like, I was just really impressed with Miami all around. Like, it was just, uh, especially because it looked like A&M was kind of, like, they looked like the better team early on. Like, like this game could, like, it, it, was, it started 10-0, I want to say. And mm. Miami was lead, was up by halftime. It felt like they were just, every time A&M um, got anything going, like, they would just punch right back. So, I was definitely impressed Miami. Like, I that, that was... That was the team, like I said, I was most surprised about this whole weekend. Yeah, and I think it makes Miami, Florida State that much more interesting uh, later on this year. But that's always good. But Miami and Florida State are relevant. That's gonna be good. It's also funny to me. Do you remember how awful Miami Texas A&M was last year? I do. Yeah, that was one of the ugliest games all season. And then we get a completely different game this year. The sport can just change so quickly. Matt Green, same head coaches, by the way. Completely different result, and they look completely different. I will say, too, Connor Wegman took some shots in this game, but that dude, two scores down, still drove down the, the field and uh, was just really unfazed. And I think he deserves a lot of credit because it's going to get lost in the loss because the defense really just imploded, and DJ Durkin quietly should be on the hot seat as the DC at uh, in College Station. But um, Connor Wegman looked really, really good once again uh, in this game. And A&M's offense played pretty well for the most part, but Miami... Miami's got this thing rolling. And speaking of good hires, like Mario Cristobal, he realized Gaddis and company weren't going to work after last year, one year. Nope, we're, we're moving on. We're changing things out. And these new uh, OC and DC hires look like um, the winners here for Cristobal and company. So shout out to Cristobal uh, bouncing back here in Miami. Certainly looks like a top 25 team, and we'll see if they can continue building this and if it's sustainable uh, in the ACC and if they can catch up. Well, what do you Florida think? Because uh, we know they have the talent. Does, yeah. What do you think this does to the whole Jimbo conversation? Does this like? Because I really don't feel like I've heard that much like Jimbo hot seat talk coming out of this weekend. I think a lot of I mean maybe the logical opinions are just like, wow, Miami looked good, and maybe we're not just like fire Jimbo Fisher because they lost another game. But maybe it just goes. It's just a you know a, a tally mark that we'll revisit later and see how many add up because losing to Miami at a conference like isn't great but it's you know it's obviously a big time game but if you add that on to losses to Alabama and to LSU and maybe Tennessee like if if this team loses 3 4 5 games then it does feel like same old same old jimbo but it, I feel like maybe I'm not on the A&M message boards but it doesn't seem like that's really the story that's coming out of this kind of surprisingly Yeah I think it's because they're all just happy that the offense is good again and that seems like by Petrino's being able to 
uh, do what he wants on offense, which is good. And Connor Wegman looks really good. So I think non-conference, it doesn't uh, completely uh, destroy their year. Still 0-0 in conference play. Get UL Monroe this week. Get to 2-1. Put up a bunch of points again. Then you should beat Auburn at home, 3-1. and And then Arkansas, I think you'll be favored in that one in the Dallas-Jerry world. You're quietly 4-1. and Definitely ranked again. And then you get Bama at home. And then you see what happens. Uh, Bama at home and then at Tennessee. So I think they... We'll figure a lot more about uh, AM uh, about a month from now than where they're at. Uh, I think Jimbo will be okay for a little bit longer. Um, speaking of Texas, though, the state of Texas here, Matt Green, um, Texas Tech outscored uh, 20 to 3 in the final quarter in another late implosion, a late loss for the Red Raiders. As I felt really good about this one, I was going to gloat. Uh, late on a Saturday night here because I felt like Tyler Shook was cooking and I thought the Red Raiders were going to pull it off against the Oregon Ducks at home, but uh, they lose late and Oregon deserves credit for uh, a big come from behind win here. But Matt Green, what did you make of the Ducks uh, escaping uh, Lubbock with a victory? And do you think they're now more shaky than you had previously thought? Um, I guess I would put this game up there with um with Ole Miss Tulane in terms of like the the sneaky good win of the weekend because A mm. and M I feel like is being kind of left for dead you know after losing uh, to Wyoming in the opener it's like obviously a bad loss if you're a Big Twelve team but it felt like like you know coming down this this hostile environment home home opener for Texas Tech like you were gonna get kind of a desperate team and you were gonna get their best shot. So I, I feel like Oregon coming on the road and actually, you know, overcoming some adversity and and pulling away in this one, I think it's a, a big time win. Like I don't necessarily, uh, I don't necessarily think anything negative uh, of Oregon coming out of this one. I think it's a, I think it's a big win to go on the road for sure. Yeah. Um, Bo Nix good in this one, but Texas Tech man just rough, rough start when they came into this year with high expectations, and now they're quickly in a hole here in the Big Twelve. Um. Does this change how you see the Still Pac-12? Zero and zero in the Big 12, though, right? That is true. Um, who the heck is the best team in the Pac-12 right now to you? To me, it's the Oregon Ducks. Okay, like, I so think you're USC, still good on that. Yeah, USC, I just have no idea of. I mean, obviously, Oregon, all we've seen is Texas Tech. I'm not going to take anything from 81 points versus Portland State. Mm. Um, and, and Utah had the good win over Florida and and obviously um barely escaped baylor this weekend but um they're playing without their starting quarterback like so utah it's kind of weird because you don't really know what they are exactly and i kind of feel it's similar with um uh utah as far as like oregon just going on the road to a big 12 uh stadium and just just finding a way to win when you didn't have your your a game essentially so um I don't know. And I guess you put up to those three, but I guess Washington's kind of the one that's getting like left out that you kind of forget about, but they've looked as impressive as anybody and their offense is, is basically not missed a beat from last year. Oregon state too. I mean, they're a top 15 team. Yeah. Like you just look at it. I don't know who it is uh, at the moment, but there's just a lot of top end talent. I can't wait for those conference games uh, in the next few weeks to get started. But um, Matt green, I, I think uh, I'm still liking Oregon by an, by an edge so far to this point. Okay. I probably but, lean. But Caleb Williams might be the best player in college football, and and that's that's the X factor that USC's got. Yeah, I mean Utah's won a back to back. My I err on Utah and Washington, but uh, we shall see, Macarena. We shall see. Um, 
Utah, though, you mentioned them. They escape here uh, on the road without Cam Rising once again. But to get 2-0 uh, with a win at Baylor and Florida at home without your star uh, quarterback under center, I think is a huge dub for the Utes, uh, Matt Green. But the biggest one, I think, coming out of this game for me is Dave Aranda sneaky the a nice bet for first coach fired this year. Like, we didn't have him on our list here, but quietly this is turning into maybe a dumpster fire um, all eyes were on Neil Brown, but is Dave Aranda in some trouble here? And if you're a Baylor fan, what what are you thinking? I mean, you're not wrong. Baylor just doesn't feel like the type of program that's got the quick trigger. Like this team won the big, wait, they won the big 12, right? Did Oklahoma State win that? Yeah, they uh, won the big 12. They won because Oklahoma State, if they had won it, then they're in the playoff. Might have gotten to the playoff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they just won the conference in 2021. So if you're Baylor, like it's obviously 0-2 start is not what you want, but two years removed from a conference championship, um, especially if you look at what this conference, like post-Texas and uh, Oklahoma, like Baylor's probably positioned to be one of the better programs in that conference. Um, I think I think Dave Arandis, he's, he's built himself a little uh, a little leeway that like, this maybe going into next year if it, if it doesn't get any better this year going into next year there could be some hot seat talk but I, I don't i think he's safe in 2023 okay um it's gonna be a sneaky bad year uh what's their schedule looking like could this is a bowl game like maybe out of the question already for them have they dug themselves too big of a hole i mean when you're counting um preseason Ooh, I'm looking uh, at win it now. totals yeah the uh texas uh texas state game was definitely a, a win in the preseason win loss i don't cincinnati is a lot better than expected you get that on the road you have to go to ucf texas texas tech who will be hungry for a while. i mean this looks like you're at tcu at kansas state matt green this looks like a three and nine team now yeah, I but still a lot of winnable get... games, though. Like, I mean, these are like the whole Big 12 is like a toss up schedule. Like, Texas, yeah. you would probably count as a loss to this point, but yeah. like UCF, Texas Tech, Cincinnati, Iowa State, Houston, even TCU and West Virginia. Like, I would say they're probably better than West Virginia, but like, who really knows about them? But it's like, I don't, I couldn't tell you if those are, I, we're talking three point spreads, like in all of those games, like the rest of the way, I'd think. Like, they, they just seem like uh, toss ups. That's fair. Um, let's hit uh, Notre Dame surviving NC State 45-24 here. Sam Hartman gets over the Wolfpack hump 0-2 to that point on the road. Um, dating back to his time at Wake Forest. Is it time to take the Fighting Irish serious as a college football playoff contender, Matt Green? Man, I hope you watched college game day or at least recorded it on Saturday, sir. Did you did you tune in on, on Saturday morning? Notre Dame, uh, I just, I have to say this, Matt Green. Is this going to be an old man take? Game day is no. dead to me. Game day is not <laughs> what it used to be. Game day is not a must watch for me anymore. It's uh, it's not for me. I forgot someone who made it's... this comparison where it's like, it feels like game day was a college or was a mom and pop store that got bought out by a chain. And mm. I just haven't been able to, to unsee that. And that's kind of what it feels like to me. It's just not... It's not, not it a, I don't hang on, on their every word like I once did without a doubt, but um, you would have thought for one that Notre Dame NC State was game day. Uh, mm. It was the Sam Hartman show, man. They talked to this guy so much 
And so you didn't catch this rib story. No. On college oh, I already know day. about it, though. And I know this his guy's got basically the shark tooth. <laughs> what, what is it? Con- conch necklace? Like, is that mm, what they call it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's his rib on the, uh, on the, instead of a shark tooth. It's, it was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. It was honestly disgusting, but um, yeah, Sam Hartman got so much FaceTime. I love the uh, pregame interviews they'll do though, like with guys like micing them up when they're just like on the field, wherever, and warmups. They did one of those with them, but mm. but yeah, I think Notre Dame, like with Sam Hartman, they're just they're a different beast to be honest. Like they're just they're so like they feel like they're this. They've been the same team since Brian Kelly got there. Like. And obviously Marcus Freeman now that they're just fundamentally sound, like, you know, not too high, not too low kind of thing. And but they just haven't had that difference maker at quarterback. And Sam Hartman, he seems like a guy that that makes them capable of being able to beat just about anybody they play. Like they're they're gonna have a really fun schedule this year. And I'm I'm getting excited for Ohio State Notre Dame in a couple weeks. Cause I think Notre that was a game that I don't think many of us took too seriously on Ohio State's schedule preseason. And now I'm not positive the Buckeyes are better than the Notre Dame. No, and I think the Buckeyes still have some problems. They're 26 in yards per play right now uh, in the nation. Notre Dame, number eight coming in there uh, with eight yards per play, rounding out the top 10. USC one, Washington two, UCF three, Miami four, Oregon five, Louisville, who's quietly been really good and out of the gate here, six, New Mexico State, sure uh at seven um and then georgia tech look at georgia tech macarine looking a little bit better with your guy buster faulkner part view legend and then florida state rounding out that top 10 but uh yeah i think notre dame they can run it the best quarterback they've had in 10 years plus um in sam hartman i think i don't think they can win the title but do I think that they can find their way into the college football playoff? Do I think Notre Dame, USC, Notre Dame, Ohio State are must watches? Yes. Um, I just, I'm curious. They have a top 10 passing defense uh, to this point as well. You just yeah, look at all the numbers. Audric Estime, if that's how yes. you pronounce his name, leading the, leading the country in rushing right now too. They're complete. Like they are, they're a dangerous team. Uh, Notre Dame is a team to be taken seriously uh, this year here. So, Quickly to wrap things up with the a lot, the lot more FaceTime yeah. for your boy, a lot more FaceTime for our wives, boys, uh, as, as you know, uh, <laughs> it seems to you just slip up when you say, I, I don't know where it comes from. Yeah, um, just you. Cougars beat Wisconsin back to back years um, and they were fired up, did some nice stuff for Mike Leach. Um, they did pla- uh, black pirate flags and shirts um, all over uh, the, the stadium for uh, the Cougs in honor of the late head coach who passed away in December. Um, Wisconsin, 16 straight points late uh, to try and come back and win this one, but they come up short, so a big win uh, for the Cougs. Ole Miss, we talked about uh, outscoring Tulane 27-3 to in the second half to beat the Green Wave. Um, Oklahoma surviving late uh, against SMU. SMU actually outgained them 367-365. to um, and then Auburn surviving super late against Cal Mac Green. Any other uh, man, big games and, and here? Nobody wanted to win that game, man. Like oh. Cal had just so many. I don't know how many um, field goals they missed, um, and then which forced them to have to kind of go for it uh, late in the game too. Like they also man, got robbed a touchdown early. That stupid call where the the linebacker made a great play with Peyton Thorn where he fumbled it. 
and the linebacker yeah. catches it and runs it into the end zone. They reversed the call, but because they called it originally as out of bounds, they didn't give him the touchdown. Like that's the difference in the game right there, Matt Green. This felt like, uh, obviously, I make a lot of things about Georgia. I'm a Georgia mm. fan. This felt like one of those, like, Georgia-Missouri, going at Missouri, like, because it's mm. always, like, a real late-night game for Georgia, and it's not, like, the best team on Georgia's schedule. But there's something weird about Missouri, and they seem to play Georgia close a lot. Um, and so, like, Georgia, like, Auburn did not play their best game by any means. The defense, I was impressed with the defense in this game, but like what Peyton Thorne 94 yards passing just like just offense did not do much in this one but it's like you just found a way to win and it's like a win's a win like you went across the country like it might not be a, a power five champion or a power five contender or anything this year but if you're Auburn you're two and oh and this was this is a good win like and this, this is like the perfect type of win that's like you're you're easing into the schedule, right? It's not it's not going at Texas A and M or something, but it's a it's a nice little baby step that like it's got to build some confidence um, moving forward for Auburn. I like it, uh, Matt Green. Uh, anything else we missed here in our week two recap show here? No, that's all I got, man. I uh, I'm excited for uh, for week three. We'll uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina. It's, seeing more conference games. I'm I'm here for it. I think uh, I think Mississippi State, LSU. I think is our only other uh, SEC conference game next week. Still a lot of good big games, and then the week after is a lot of juggernauts um, as well. So it's uh we got through the most boring part of the college football season here. And this weekend was fun, uh, by and large. So uh, I'm excited about week three. Preview will be up on uh, Thursday. So look out for that. Uh, taping that on Wednesday evening. But uh, as always, Matt Green, thank you. And uh, I'll talk to you very soon. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.